Well, if you were here last week, then you saw Gene Apple here. It was such a treat for us to have Gene Apple back here at the crossing. His fingerprints are all over this church because he was part of the launch of this church. And since many of you now know who he is, I thought I would tell you my favorite Gene Apple story that I have. Years ago, I was on staff at Canyon Ridge. And we were going to a conference, and on my way out, I was heading to Chicago. On my way out, one of the guys on staff said, which airline are you flying? And I told him, he says, well, I used to work for that airline. He said, I'm going to call ahead, and I'm going to see if I can get you first class. He said, just go ahead and just drive to the airport. If I'm able to get it, they'll tell you when you check in. Well, it's pretty cool because I had never been in first class before. You know, usually a church is buying my tickets, so they buy the cheapest seats on the entire airplane. It's usually back by the bathrooms. So I head out there, and I check in. They say, Mr. Philip, you are one of our first-class passengers today. We're going to have pre-boarding here in just a second. I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. So we pre-board. I sit down, and they hand me a warm washcloth. I didn't know what to do with it. Never been in first class before, but you don't want to act like that. So you just kind of look around, see what everybody else is doing with theirs. And then the flight attendant came by. She said, can I get your drink order? I said, is this for after the flight starts? She goes, no, right now. I go, I'll take a Coke. Well, then it began to happen. The riffraff starts coming on. (laughs) Those people in the back of the plane. And as they're coming on, I can hardly even stand to look at them. I'm like, just please get by me, please, because I'm in first class. And at that moment, Gene Apple walks onto the plane. Now, Gene was going to speak at the conference that I was going to attend. He was the main speaker. And he stops and he looks at me on the first row of first class and he says, I must not be living right. (laughs) So we chat there for a little while and I said, Gene, it's time for you to get back where you belong. (laughs) Because some church had bought his tickets and he was sitting back by the bathroom. Well, we take off, and they come by, and they get the dinner order, and they said, would you like steak, chicken, or fish? I said, I thought this was just a peanut flight. She says, well, for those people back there, <laughs> chicken. I'll take the chicken, and then they bring hot fudge Sunday. There's nothing like having hot fudge Sunday at 30,000 feet. It was just amazing. Here's what's funny about that whole story. I was not there because of what I had done. I was there because of what had been done for me. That's grace. So you're not here because of what you've done. You're not in Christ because of what you have done. You're in Christ because of what has been done for you. And today we're concluding our series that we've been calling Messy Grace. We've just been walking through this incredible chapter of the Bible, Romans chapter 8, where the Apostle Paul explains our standing with God. And here's what we've learned. When grace gets missed, it gets replaced with a cheap substitute. See, if you don't realize that you have a sin problem, then grace isn't going to mean very much to you. But when you realize that you have a problem with sin, all of a sudden it has this completely different meaning to you. See, I don't think we fully understand the meaning of grace until we realize what grace, what it is when we remove grace. Because when you remove grace and you talk about God, when you study God and you don't have grace, that's called religion. And when Jesus came into this world, he did not come to to introduce a new form of religion. Jesus came to introduce us to a vastly different relationship with God. And in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, he starts off by saying that, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
That when you are in Christ Jesus, you are no longer a slave to your old life, to your past. And not only that, the Apostle Paul says that you've been given the Spirit of Christ that lives in you. That the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that is in you if you're a follower of Christ. And this is what helps us to step away from our old life, that we can change. Because you have God's Spirit, you have the Spirit of Jesus living in you. And Paul tells us that you've been adopted. When you've been adopted, that means that you've been chosen, that God has chosen you. Well, if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8 one last time. Because today the Apostle Paul, in this passage we're going to look at today, he's going to ask a series of questions. Because he wants to reinforce our relationship with God, our standing with God. Now, Jesus oftentimes did this. People would come up to Jesus, and they would ask him questions. And instead of answering the question, Jesus would ask another question. Well, that's what the Apostle Paul does here. The Apostle Paul asks a series of questions. And here's question number one that he's going to ask, is who can be against us? Who can be against us? Here's what he says beginning in verse 31, one of the greatest verses in the entire Bible. He says this, he says, what then shall we say in response to these things? Well, what's he talking about, these things? What does that mean? Well, he's pointing back to what he's just said. He's pointing back to the scripture where it says, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That in all things, God works for the good. That means no matter what you're going through in your life, God can make it good. No matter what bad things that you have as part of your past or part of your present, God can take those tragedies, those pains, And he can make those things good. That is the power of God. That's what the Apostle Paul is referring to. He says, what shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? See, the question is not simply who is against us. Because if you're like me, you have a whole list of people who are against you. You know, maybe it's your boss or maybe it's your spouse or your parents Maybe it's that bad neighbor who moved in. Maybe it's not a person. Maybe it's something in your life. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's something financially. See, there are plenty of people and things that seem to be against us. But the Apostle Paul gives us a completely different perspective. He says, if God is for you, who can be against you? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, a few months ago... Shaquille O'Neal was in town, and he was signing books at a local bookstore. He had just written a children's book. And so Darla and I decided that we would go out to the bookstore. We'd buy a book. We wanted to get get his autograph inside the book. And so we walk in to this Barnes & Noble, and the line is all the way around the bookstore going to the outside. Couldn't believe how long this line was. Well, we walk in, and we walk up to the very front. And the security guard goes, "You, you need to stop. You cannot come up here. You're not, you're not allowed to come up here. Well, what he didn't know is that my friend is the agent for Shaquille O'Neal. And he was up there and he goes, Shane, come on in. Come on in over here. Well, at this point, the security guard started feeling really bad. And he kept apologizing to me. He didn't realize I was part of, he thought I was part of Shaquille's entourage. 
So he's like, I just told somebody in Shaquille's entourage that they couldn't come up. So he kept apologizing to me. So we got him to sign our book. And if you didn't notice, he's sitting down. Darla and I were standing up here. Because when Shaquille is for you, who can be against you? Paul says God is for you. God is for you. I wonder what would change in your life if tomorrow morning, when you got up out of bed, when your feet hit the floor, if you really believe this and you begin to live your life like you believe this, that God is for you. God is for you. Because if you could really get this into you, it'll change everything about you. Well, he goes on here in verse 32. And he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Now, it's an interesting phrase that he uses here when he says he did not spare his only son. Because the Jewish people who are reading this, they would have known exactly what he was talking about. Because this is the same wording that's used in the Old Testament when Abraham offered his son Isaac to be sacrificed. Do you remember this story? When Abraham is 100 years old and Sarah is 90 years old, it's not exactly the childbearing years, God gives them a son by the name of Isaac. God had promised 25 years before this that he was going to give them a son. He told Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And finally, God fulfills the promise. Well, Isaac begins to grow up And God comes to Abraham and he says, I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And you think, what? That is crazy. I think for Abraham, as crazy it sounded, he just knew that God would make a way, that God would work this out. And so they went on this this three-day journey. And as they get closer to the mountain where he's going to sacrifice Isaac, Isaac says, Dad, I see everything ready for the sacrifice. We have the wood, we have the fire, we have everything, but there's no sacrifice. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide. God will provide because he believed that God would provide. And then he puts his son Isaac on the altar ready to to sacrifice him, and God stops him, God intervenes, and God says to him, because you did not spare your only son, I will bless you, and I will bless all people because of you. And Paul now uses that exact same phrase to clarify our relationship with Jesus. And we look at that and we go, that's crazy. I mean, that story is absolutely crazy, and this is what Paul is reminding us it's just like that story was crazy, this story is crazy, that God would, would not spare his only son for you and for me. And what he's doing, he's making an argument from the greatest to the least, that if God didn't spare his only son, then doesn't it follow that he's going to give you everything that you need? I mean, what's the most important, most valuable thing to God? It's his son. And so if God gave his son then doesn't it follow that you can trust God with all the other stuff of your life? That the stuff that you don't understand, even when things aren't going your way, that if God didn't spare his only son, isn't he going to provide for you in every way that he promised that he would? A few months ago, I got a box of antique toys from my childhood. 
They're pretty cool toys. And I didn't know what to do with them. I'm like, what do I do with these things? So I thought, you know what? I'm going to sell these. I'm going to make a little bit of money off of them. I had these, these antique G.I. Joes and G.I. Joe helicopter. I had some vintage Planet of the Apes action figures. I like to call them action figures because it sounds better than Planet of the Ape dolls. But I had these action figures. I had these 50-year-old matchbox cars and these vintage board games. And I watch TV. You know, I see that people sell these things. And so I started doing some research on it. Found out that all my stuff was worth about 500 bucks. So I was pretty excited. You know, I was pretty excited to have a little bit of extra money in my pocket. So I take it in to a toy store in town that specializes in this type of thing. Well, the girl behind the counter was not nearly as excited about my stuff as I was. And she asked me what I wanted for it. I said, well, this stuff is worth about $500. So I said, how about $250? That gives you plenty of room to make the profit that you need to make. And then she said, well, your stuff might be worth $500 if it was still in the original box. And she's pointing to all the toys that I have that are in the original box. She's like, I don't know if you know this or not, but these toys have been played with. They're not in very good condition. And she says, and beyond that, she says the bottom's fallen out of the market and people just aren't paying what they used to pay for this type of stuff. So she says, I'll give you 40 bucks. <laughs> well, I decided for 40 bucks, I would put my toys back in the box. I would take them home. I would put them on the shelf and make my kids decide what to do with it when I'm gone. They can figure that out then. <laughs> Isn't it true? That value is determined by what somebody is willing to pay for something. That you know the value of something, you know what it's worth by what somebody is willing to pay for it. Now here's the thing. Is God forever determined your worth? God determined your worth and your value by the cross. That God defined your value by the cross. And if the value is determined by what somebody will pay for something, then what does God say about you? That you are the most valuable thing in the world to him. That who can come against us? Who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, here's the second question the Apostle Paul asks. He says, who can bring any charge against us? Who can bring any charge against us? Verse 33, he says, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who will bring any charge against you? In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says that Satan is the accuser. He's called the accuser, that he accuses God's children day and night. And he is doing that to some of you right now. That he's whispering in your ear right now, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. He's trying to discourage you and to make you think that you're not worthy of God's love. Well, the truth is, you're not. I mean, that's the point of this chapter in the Bible is you're not. That you don't earn it. You're not worthy of it. That it is God who justifies. And he goes on, verse 34, he says, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Do you get what Paul is saying here? Paul is saying that Jesus died, he rose again, and now he's at the right hand of God and he's speaking up for you. 
I love this scripture in 1 John chapter 2, where it says, We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Do you think anybody dares to bring accusations against you when your defense attorney is Jesus? So here's the scenario. Imagine with me for just a minute that you're at a table in a courtroom, and a judge walks in, and you stand up, and the judge is God. And he has this file folder in his hand that's about this thick, and it has your name on it. It has all the things that you've done. And he sets it down, and even God says, this is pretty heavy. I don't see very many that are quite as big as this one. And he sits it on his desk, and you know this is not going to go well. And you stand up as the charges are going to be read against you, but right next to you is Jesus. And God opens up the file folder, and he starts, and he says, on the charges of losing your temper and punching a hole into the wall, how do you plead? And Jesus stands up, and he says, I paid for that one. Well, on the charges of the sexual sin, Jesus says, I I paid for that one. On the charges of cheating on the test, I paid for that one. On the charges of gossip and lying, I paid for those. On the charges of lust and greed, I I paid for those too. And each time a charge is read, your defense attorney, Jesus, speaks for you. He intercedes for you. He speaks on your behalf. He is the atoning sacrifice. And time after time, he says, I paid for that one. I paid for that one. That you have Jesus who died on the cross for you, who rose from the dead, who is sitting right next to God right this minute, and he is speaking for you. He is defending you because he paid the price for you. See, Paul asked this first question, who can be against you? If God's for you, who can be against you? The second question is, who can bring any charge against you? And here's the third question. It's what can separate us? What can separate us? In verse 35, Paul says this. He goes, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Literally, the word that Paul uses is super conquerors, that we are super conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, that's God's love for you. That's how God feels about you. See, we have a lot of definitions of love. Because when we talk about love, for a lot of us, there is an if kind of love. That we love somebody if they do something for us. Or they love us if we do something for them. And there's always strings attached to that kind of love. There is a because of kind of love. Do you love somebody because of something? They love you because of your looks or because of your money. And what you always worry is, what if I lose that thing that's that because of? What if I lose it? Are they still going to love me? 
Well, Paul says God's love is not based on any of that stuff. See, God's love is different. And you hear what Paul is saying. Paul is saying God's love for you is not determined on the circumstances that you face right now. Some of you want to measure God's love by your circumstances. Conditions and circumstances are not how you determine God's love. The cross is how you determine God's love for you. And it's so easy to think, when things are going well, well, God must love me. And when things aren't going well, we think, well, God's either mad at me or he's absent. He's not showing up. But Paul says, it's not based on the conditions. It's not based on circumstances. Look at verse 37 again. It says, he says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. When I first read that, there was something about that that bothered me. Because it's past tense. That's like a red flag. You know, if my wife comes up to me this afternoon and says, Shane, I just want you to know I loved you. Whoa. Okay, wait a second here. You mean you love me, present tense, not loved me, past tense. What's this mean? Well, this word that the Apostle Paul uses, it's a Greek word, and it's not pointing to the past. It's pointing to something specific that happened in the past. When Paul says that Jesus loved us, He's not pointing to the past. He is pointing. He's not just pointing to the past. He's pointing to something very specific that happened in the past. He's pointing to the cross. So when he says, we are more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us because of what he's done on the cross. And it's so easy for us to think that God's love is based on the circumstances. But think about who Paul is writing this to. This book of Romans, he's writing to the Christians who live in Rome. Do you remember who the emperor was of Rome? It's Nero. Then in Rome, they had the Colosseum, still stands today. And they would bring the Christians in, and they would release the lions on the Christians as tens of thousands of people watched it for sport. This is who Paul is writing to, saying God's love for you is not based on the circumstance. That if God is for you, nothing can be against you. Nero had a garden. And at nighttime, he would use Christians and he would light them on fire to to bring light to the garden. See, this is who the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to. Saying God's love for you. It's, It's determined by the cross. And see, this isn't just positive thinking. See, Paul's words here aren't just, just think positive thoughts. That's not what he's saying. And you begin to see the people who have sacrificed their life. The Apostle John will be exiled on an island. The Apostle Paul will be jailed and soon will be executed. The Apostle Peter will be crucified upside down. There's all of these who have gone before us. Why do we assume that God's love for us equals a great job, a happy life, and a large bank account? God's love for us is based on the cross, and nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing can separate us from his love. When my kids were little, one of the first songs that we taught them was, Jesus loves me, this I know. Because the Bible tells me so. And this song that probably most of us in this room that we learned as a toddler, it takes a lifetime to grasp. 
In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it says, We love because He first loved us. We love because He first loved us. See, we didn't love God first. God loved us first. That we love Him because He first loved us. And you want to know where real contentment starts? You want to know where real joy starts? It starts knowing that you're loved by God, that God loves you just as you are. Here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. Is that God is for you. That God is for you. So we all have a list of things that are against us. But if you could grasp this truth right here, that God is for you. If tomorrow morning when your feet hit the floor and you could begin to live your day with this reality that God is for you, it'll change everything. See, God loves you, but God doesn't just love you. God sent Jesus to die for you. God even likes you. God is for you. And so you have to wrestle with this question right here. Is God for me or is God keeping something from me? Because right now, some of you, this is where you are. You feel like God is keeping something from you. And you have to wrestle this out yourself. Is God for you? Or is he keeping something from you? See, if you can grasp this right here, it'll change everything for you. We call this series Messy Grace. Because the reality is, is all of us have messy lives. That we are messy people. We have messy pasts and messy stories. But when your identity is in Christ... When your identity is in Christ, you no longer identify your life by the mess. You identify it by the grace. For me, I realized a long time ago that I was becoming somebody that I didn't want to become. Because I've been a pastor for many years and, and there was just this pressure for everybody to think that I had my life all together. This pressure to, to try to show people that I'm somebody that I really wasn't. Because the truth is, I'm right next to you with a messy life. Have these feelings of inadequacy. God, you could never use me. Sin, pride, anger greed, things that I struggle with, that I didn't want anybody to know about those things because I thought, well, they won't, they won't think as highly of me if they, if they know that I've got a messy life. And it was about 10 years ago that it all changed for me, is that my value and my worth was defined by what God did for me. And that's what allows me to just take the messiness of my life and identify with Christ. Because when I take the mess of my life and I give it to the grace of Jesus, God can do something with that. God can take the, the mess that we have, it's when God can really begin to use us.
when we find that our identity is in Christ. That you are saved by grace. That God is for you. And we wanted to have a way where where you could identify in the same way. And so we have another banner out here in the lobby. Maybe you saw it when you came in. That we don't have enough room on there for, for you to put your handprint on it. But we want you to put your thumbprint there and to sign your name. But for you, we want it to be a decision. For some of you, it's the decision that, that you are finally embracing grace today. That today you are stepping across the line of faith and saying, I'm in. And when you sign your name, it's saying, I'm, I'm receiving God's grace for me. We're going to be doing baptisms on Easter Sunday. It's your next step. For some of you, it means that you're going to be the extender of grace. That you need to forgive somebody in your life or you need to clean up a relationship. You need to do something to be an extender of grace. For others, it's to be an ambassador of grace. It's to share what God has done for you. See, here's what's so powerful is when you're willing to show the mess that's left behind in your life and other people can see it and go, if God can change your life, then God can change my life. If God can can do that for you, then God can do that for me. For some of you, I just want to encourage you to make a bold invitation. Be an ambassador of grace. Bring somebody with you on Easter. Because we're just going to share. It's the grace of Jesus in people's lives. How The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It changes everything for us. God is for you. I want to ask you just to bow your heads. And maybe in this time, is you just need to just talk to God about whatever it is for you. But I want to read this scripture over you. I want you to hear these words from God spoken into your life again because God is for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God, thank you that that is the kind of grace that you have for each of us. God, I just want to pray for those right now who thinks that grace is for everyone else, but it's not for them. God, that you would just penetrate into their life now. God, help us to be the extenders of grace. That we show grace to other people because grace has been shown to us. And God, help us to be an ambassador of grace. That we can show people the life that comes through Jesus. God, thank you that you are for us. Pray this in Jesus' name.